0: That stands alone. I one choice to man the Stand and take shots. Give it all I got. All I got is this microphone.
1: Hey, welcome to Pulp Revelators Live. First time ever in quarantine. And we are doing our best version over here of could be Hollywood Squares, could be the Brady Bunch. Not sure exactly which one we're doing, but. Uh, I've got all my friends here with me, and we are going all to of them. Talk. All well, of their, I, I don't have any others. <laughs> you you this, only this have. This all we have. And uh, so he today we are marching. going to be talking about um, one of the best story arcs ever written, or at least that's what many critics say. Some would say it is the best of all time. I'm talking about Frank Miller's Daredevil: Born Again. And uh, several of us have these here. Some of us just have committed it to memory. But uh, we are going to go ahead and enlighten you a little bit about this incredible story arc, and I'm going to throw the mic to my left, to Matt Murdock. You can see that up there. All right, Tim, go, or uh, sorry, Mike, go
2: for it. So, yeah, this is, um, when we decided that to, when when Gary suggested we do this as a, a book club, it, it Punched my buttons in that this is the, the comic that got me into comics. <clears throat> this is what I started reading Frank Miller's Daredevil, and it was what made me love comics. And I had it, uh, it was delivered to our mailbox. You know, every time that it came out, I'd get a new issue. And you know, from from liking it as, as a middle schooler. reading it again in my 40s and liking the story just as much for different reasons it's like oh wow this is just good stuff and and the more you talk to people about um you know what's the the greatest comic arc of all time some people will say watchmen some people will say um you know what what a couple of x-men stories that claremont did um, or or grant morrison's all-star superman but daredevil born again is always in the mix and um, yeah, and it's just that you know that quintessential story of somebody being broken down to their lowest point, just their whole life coming apart, and every and then building themselves back up um, with a little divine intervention. So I, you know, I wonder, Gary, what your uh, your thought process as as the uh, book of the month picker. What made you go after Daredevil Born Again? Well,
3: it was, um, it, you hit a lot of the high notes. It's, it's a really good, incredible story. It was different from when it came out. Um, it's kind of like the unsung triplet of that year. It came out in 1986, uh, the same year as Watchmen and Dark Knight Returns came out. And uh, you always hear about Dark Knight Returns and um, Watchmen and you hear about Born Again a little, but it's totally overshadowed by the other two. But yet, while it had some of the same themes and some of the same kind of noirish take on things, it was completely different and its whole concept. Um, so I really thought and I know that it was a book that you that got you in the comics. It's one that kind of. Uh, i didn't like daredevil until i had read this one and uh i really started enjoying daredevil after that one and then went back and started reading all the other uh all the other um frank miller stuff so that's what kind of got me into it um i know jeffrey sanders is another child of the same time period so i was wondering um Jeff, did you read it when it came out? um, Or was that like, paper came later? (laughs) Nice.
1: Um, Yeah, I actually was collecting Daredevil at that time. Was amongst my favorites of all the different uh, comic book characters. Um, Love the stories, love the story arcs. uh, And I I did read it as it came out. Um, It didn't have the same impact on me when I was younger. That it does now, uh life experience and just understanding of things now compared to I guess it came out in what 86, I believe was the year that it came out. Um I was a high schooler. <laughs> I don't want to hear it, Zach. <laughs> I don't want to hear it. Um so yeah, I you know it was definitely was that your second time um, through high school. <laughs> it was it was my third time through ninth grade yeah yeah and so yeah i was reading along with it and um uh, it it stood out amongst the stories of its time with daredevil um but like i said it didn't have the impact uh on me that it did going back now many years later reading it again uh just uh it seemed a little advanced for its time in in some ways to me Mm -hmm. um and so yeah it just That was my take. Um, Dustin, what about you, man? I know you're a big Daredevil fan.
0: Yeah, I wasn't born yet.
1: (laughs) I'm I'm leaving.
0: (laughs) So I don't have that memory uh, available to me. But, uh, you know, I think back to some of my favorite stories in comics have always been, they seem to come from Frank Miller and they seem to come from that year you know, you read, I don't know if it's just me. I know you guys have mentioned before you like other Frank Miller stories, but I really don't care for any other Frank Miller story. You know, I've read Bruce. dark Knight to Number two, I've read the master race, read Superman year one, um, I read his all-star Batman and Robin, <laughs> uh, but I mean that year for some, ri- for some reason, uh, Frank Miller killed it with Batman year one, Dark Knight Returns, and then Daredevil born again. And I don't know if it's just like, he just hit that time period so well. He just caught that moment uh, in being able to write kind of both, you know, all three of those stories are this kind of rede- they're all redemption stories to some extent. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I like Born Again. It's not my favorite Daredevil story. Um, I'd actually like to hear your thoughts. I think it would have become my my favorite Daredevil story. I just don't like the way it ends. You know, <laughs> Nuke and Captain America just seem like a weird thing to throw in there. It almost feels like that's what he came up with, with how to close out this story was those, two, like, I don't know. It doesn't really make sense to me
1: i'm gonna agree with you there that i thought that they could have done a little bit more with the end it built so well the the yeah. um the way that the story came together and and to end it with that i i kind of agree with you there i really
4: do very
5: anticlimactic
4: why did i didn't mind it because i thought it gave it, it's kind of like what marvel marvel's obviously mimicking a lot of, of what's from this story with what they're with what they're doing in the cinema world and you have the opportunity for the Avengers, everyone's wondering, you know, Daredevil and Jessica Jones and all the other properties are part of the universe, but how do they tie in? And the idea, this comic kind of shows that, look, we're, we're leaving Daredevil Matt Murdock alone to do things because we know he can handle things until he gets to the point that he can't. And then and then we'll, we'll step in and we'll help. And I, I think that it kind of the little things are little blips on the radar until they become big things, and that's when the bigger players get involved. I kind of had a little bit of a different thought on that actually,
1: and that was mm-hmm. to just see how far-reaching Kingpin's uh, Kingpin's um, yep. crime syndicate really went to the point where he could call in and effectively change uh, a narrative from a from a general from a weapon that was being used in foreign wars and foreign warfare i mean he went so far outside of this whole like new york city or hell's kitchen and the kind of stories that you kind of have in daredevil and my gosh what a far-reaching syndicate this guy actually has he is the true kingpin of of criminal enterprise that's what i saw going on there
2: now but what you're not thinking about
4: is the fact that he let a dude that was blind still punch him in his face that's (laughs) <laughs> y'all are
0: missing that whole thing. <laughs> That's
2: a fair point, Dio. Yeah, no it.
0: yeah. It seems good to see, but he's still seen enough to punch a man in the face.
2: Some now, at, at the risk of, of of getting geekier than Gary, um, the I think the the original Born Again arc ends right before Nuke comes into the... Nuke is talked about, but... The, the Garden Country and then uh Armageddon have been added on because they do continue the story. But you know, when people consider Miller's Born Again ends with that saved one before Nuke comes in. Um but it's still the continuation of the story. So that that's still where Miller decided the story was supposed to go, which is weird. The uh I think is that the weirdest
5: part. Yes. When Captain America gives his little pimp slap to the corporal. <laughs> that that's what uh, caught my attention. Corporal some job. pages and a slap
4: to a corporal caught your
3: attention. <laughs> pimp slap. I'm trying to find it and it might take a little bit. Yeah, this um, is
2: why you know Zach is a DC guy.
3: Because <laughs> of the Batman slap. Oh. That's right. Yeah, the um. That could be a new meme, Zach, to use that one instead of the Batman slap. (laughs) But um, no, I think those last two issues, and I'm trying to find the exact quote, but I remember reading somewhere, and if I can find it, I'll post it. But um, I think those last two issues were an edict that came down from editorial. I don't think he really planned on doing that. Like Mike said, he wanted to stop at that final uh, saved issue. And then editorial, the sales were going so well. Because technically the rumor is that Daredevil is supposed to get canceled before he came back. When he took over Born Again, suddenly sales shot up. Um, and part of that is because A, it was Frank Miller. Mm. Dark Knight Returns had just come out. Mm. Um, B, he revolutionized Daredevil earlier, um, like 50 issue or 20 some issues previous when he did the whole Electra story. Electra, yep. So and made um, it the
2: best-selling story from the from the bottom. Drove it right, right to the top.
3: And then he um he left. He did Dark Knight Returns. So then he came back for this. And he's done some other Daredevil stories yeah. here and there that have come out as graphic novels. And then there's The Man Without Fear. Um, But this one, like, it just, it saved the book from cancellation. I mean, it just skyrocketed their sales. And Marvel was like, I have this cash cow now. Let's get two more issues out of this guy before he decides to roll off. Because at this point, Frank Miller could write his ticket. He could do mm-hmm. whatever he wanted anywhere. And you know, because just his stories were that good. Plus, um, what I think a few years later, um, on the heels of this, because you know how comics are, years or like might as well be like weeks. Um, but the next story, big storyline he had come out was Batman Year One,
2: with the same um, artist,
3: right? With and it's very and it's very two different heroes, two different companies, but thematically. Um, more noirish like uh in both those tales they're not taking on jokers or superpowered mm-hmm. criminals um they're essentially facing uh organized crime or in the in the sense at the end with those two issues that kind of are out of place with Daredevil born again the military um a, a poorly made captain America clone
2: the funny thing too if the, whether you go even if you go into Batman year 1 after born again you've got basically Daredevil with no suit no gadgets no gimmicks no nothing not which those aren't big for Daredevil in the first place but he's kind of you know street clothes Daredevil for a lot of it and in Batman year 1 is way before all the the tech that Batman gets to be known for he's just kind of working stuff out so you've got you know, the hero and their wits and their skills rough trying to work it out, trying to redeem themselves, which is cool. I think it
4: also, um before we get too far into the storyline, it actually creates additional storyline. You talked about um, um, Nuke, and mm-hmm. it ends up creating a whole run for Captain America where he's he's got to deal with, with him and with mm-hmm. um, several clones of him, super soldiers, basically. So it, it was just a A bit of an idea that just went a little bit further and then it goes a little bit further that's that's how the comic books work so it was really cool to kind of see some of the origins of someone like like nuke and then the aftermath of him where captain america respected nuke um and ended up working with him but then the the clones who were completely modeled after him were some totally different animal so it's just fun how it kind of interweaves and it it creates a a continuing storyline for all the other characters as well
2: Oh, I mean, it, go ahead, Mike. Well, okay. there's an interesting thing, you know. It, it's in the in the superhero comics, the secret identity and the 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 superhero identity are always the big thing. And you know, as a as a, if you watch Superman movies, or you're like, why doesn't anybody know that Clark Kent is Superman? It's just a pair of glasses and like a haircut, like a you know, hair styling. You know but that's always the big fear right that the the secret identity is found out and what what does that have what happens then and you know and so this is the worst case scenario that your arch nemesis figures out who you are and then just crumbles your whole life and everybody around you and you know it, it's such a powerful way to go about storytelling that 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 takes everything from them and just it it it's I've got to say, and I think we've talked about this before, but if you've got to take one hero who just gets the short end of every stick, it's Daredevil. No matter who writes him, you would not want to live Daredevil's life because he gets, you know, thrown in prison, and you know his life falls out around him. Everybody he knows gets killed. It's just like, dude, man, Daredevil is just, you know, not a guy you'd want to hang out with. Yeah, he did. All
3: Born again did kind of start him on this trajectory where the, every Daredevil story since has been like a constant Daredevil down. Um And no sense he did it next. Um, she gave him a redemptive arc at the end. Um, Kevin Smith did it when he took over in the nineties, uh, coming from clerks and all, he did the Guardian Devil story. Uh Brian Michael Bendis just did a multi-year beatdown of Daredevil art and just left him completely beat <laughs> down for Brubaker to continue. And it wasn't until Mark Wade came along that he got that whole redemption turnaround, that born again type of feel again. And, you know, currently Zadarsky's doing, um, his, his version has been kind of cool though. Like it doesn't feel like uh, Daredevil's completely lost control yet. But yeah, um, and th- this all started with Miller. Like prior to Miller coming on with the Electra and the Hand, Daredevil was like this swashbuckler, giggling, laughing, smiling dude that hopped all around the city. And then Frank Miller came and made him morose, um, gave him real life issues. And it was just kind of like he he changed the character. In fact, when he took over writing, basically he ignored a lot of the continuity that came before. He was just kind of like, I don't like that. So uh, we're gonna add ninjitsu to his boxing skills, and you know he was taught by a blind ninja master and fights ninjas.
2: So old school daredevil is a lot like Dustin in Cambridge. Correct. Absolutely. Watch buckling, you know. <laughs> I do love well, the root. The bees. You, you were
4: talking about the the importance of identity and keeping your real identity secret, and if you look cinematically. Uh, you there's two sides of that coin. You have what Tony Stark did in Iron Man at the end of the very first Iron Man. It's like, screw it, I'm Iron Man. Mm-hmm. And he cut all the all the uh, uh mystery out of it and he's gonna face it head on. Then he does it again in Iron Man too when he hands out his address. Hey, come get me. You know, he's he's there, come get me. And then you have this exact arc we're about to see, I think, play out for Spider-Man, because at the very end of Spider-Man, Peter Parker gets exposed as Spider-Man. So this is a good uh, template for how you could see the next Spider-Man going for for Peter Parker and what he has to face. That you know, there's going to be someone smart who comes along and continues to attempt to tear Peter Parker down. And it's not going to be as bad as not going to be as bad as poor Daredevil Matt Murdock, but it's it's going to be pretty bad. And he's yeah, going mean, to have to to deal with that the rest of his life.
1: The Vulture already knew who he was at the
4: end of the first mm-hmm. one, anyway. I'm um, yeah, getting he, off track here. but. And if you look in this comic um, run with Daredevil, I mean, Wilson Fisk knows who Matt Murdock is. But it, there's a couple of little spots in there where he kind of exposes it to like a larger mafia group. Like they're wondering what his affinity is for Matt Murdock. Why Matt Murdock? Why so much energy of Matt Murdock? Mm-hmm. And he kind of drops it a little bit that Matt Murdock is Daredevil. But he could have exposed him a hundred different ways and just made every gangster in the city and in the world go after him. We talked; you just talked about the, the reach that the kingpin had, and he's just going to toy with them. And that's we, another we, neat we, theme about this whole run is the kingpin truly enjoyed toying with Matt Murdoch. Well, yeah, he every chance he could. It was just, just a personal pet mouse.
3: Yeah, it was his pride. Um, th- this was a storyline. <clears throat> I don't know why my voice just did that. Nobody wants a Gary in the box, <laughs> um, but this is uh, this is the storyline in which uh, Wilson Fisk kind of became this evil presence in the Marvel universe. Prior to this, he was kind of, uh, he was, he was always a gangster. He was always that big guy who, while he looks fat, could like fight Spider-Man toe to toe. But up until this point, he became this really evil presence in Matt Murdock's life. Um, you know, when you look at the very first page that he's introduced, he's going yeah, to say that. Yeah, he's on a boat. It's a sunset, but man, he looks really kind of demonic there. He's been brooding. He's been thinking it out. Yeah, and he's um and also just think about the concept. So the information he got, um, the information he got. <laughs> put that up again, Zach. Welcome to the 80s. <laughs> there you go. Exactly. Nice. There he is in the diaper. Um, but, uh, they, um, you know, so if you really think about the concept of what Fist did, like you said, Tim, he made him a play toy. It was like a cat playing with a toy, but really like think deep into it. He took the word of an addict who was desperate for a fix, Karen Page, which we'll come back to. He took the word of an addict who, you know, somebody who's that really desperate would say anything to get it she sold the identity of this guy who technically there was no proof that she wasn't lying and just as a test he destroyed his life like if he had been wrong he would have destroyed the life of an innocent man he would he would have blown up the building ruined the life of an innocent man and been like oh oops sorry dude i thought you were daredevil um and then The other thing is where his pride steps in and where he trips up a little bit at the beginning is he would have gotten away with all of it if it wasn't for those meddling kids. and their No, he would have gotten away with all of it if he hadn't blown up the brownstone that uh, Matt Murdock lived in, because he essentially said that, uh, you know, if you read the line, um, Matt Murdock said, this didn't scream gangster until you blew up my house
4: right that's right yeah he, he hadn't connected those pieces yet yeah, and another interesting thing about the kingpin is he goes to this whole thing knowing or assuming that matt murdoch is their devil like that doesn't bother him and the idea of him ruining one one life what's one life to him he doesn't care not one bit he he's ruined hundreds or thousands of lives but he thinks matt murdoch is pretending to be blind through this whole run they think she's just a really good actor. He's got no clue that Matt Murdock actually is blind and has these superhuman skills.
3: Absolutely. And another example of kind of how he takes on this demonic evil presence, you kind of touched on it. His evil replicates throughout the story, even in yeah. righteous people. Um, you know, he starts off, he has, it, it, it starts off as like kind of like a gang hit. Yeah, you know, They're going through, they're destroying his life, they're blowing it up. Then he takes an honest cop, who has no history of doing anything wrong, yep. and bribes him into falsifying evidence. Um, he convinces uh, the U.S. military. I mean, he 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 is able to influence the U.S. military. Uh, let's see what else he manipulated The reporter. The reporter, oh, the reporter. He
4: had the reporter beat, but the reporter decided to go a different route.
3: Yep, Ben Yurt. He made him into a coward. And prior to that, Yurik hadn't shown any sign of cowardice based on the storylines. Um, so yeah, I mean he really kind of became this replicating evil, which you know how else would you describe a Satan like character in a story? She find
4: it she find it interesting that the Netflix series that was successful as it was, that is based on Miller's run here, that they couldn't find it in themselves to give us the Karen Page that we saw in, in this run. I mean, I, I, I think that, I think obviously they want to introduce her character and create the relationship of Matt Murdock and Karen Page before they went around where she stepped away. And she does kind of go a different route, but they treat it more of like a PTSD issue as opposed to a drug issue.
2: I think a lot of times, you know, Marvel seems to like to do that in, in okay, we're basing it on this storyline but we're not going to take it exactly whether it's the MCU whether it's Daredevil so some of the just because you've read the comics doesn't mean you know how it's going to turn out you know they they switch it around a little bit and i think they like karen page's character a little bit too much just to throw her in the dumps you know right well, off i'm sure we'll get on the religious undertones here but one of them is you know at the end
4: karen page's um full circle is her and matt murdock like matt still accepts her for her mm-hmm. Like all of her demons, all of her issues, she's just she's just his. He didn't say you a know? word. He didn't get mad at her. He didn't bring no. anything against her. Uh took her in. Yeah. It was even her. though even though within the story by halfway through, he's getting really paranoid about who's done this to him, who's flipped the switch. He blames Foggy, you know, and his girlfriend. And and then he he's like, No, no, that that Foggy's my friend. He couldn't do that. He talks himself out of it. But he's trying to point the finger at who could be the cause of this. But when he figures out who the cause is, he's like, okay, now I know. As far as Karen's role in it, he, he went after the Kingpin with some animosity, but. <laughs>
2: um, I'm laughing reading, you know, as, as name changes around here, Marvel's Batman down there, you know, Dustin. <laughs> I, I have always, my, my thought on Daredevil early on that he was the poor man's Batman, like the working man's Batman. He didn't have the billionaire budget and all the cool gadgets and all that kind of stuff. But he was a similar um, hero in that he didn't have great superpowers or this, that, and the other,
0: um, you know. But, but I like the Marvel's Batman take. Yeah, he, uh, you know, this actually, the storyline reminds me, um, going back to something Gary said, this really brought Kingpin into a different light after this storyline. He wasn't just a gangster anymore. He was a mastermind. And it's, it's, it's very similar leading up to uh, Batman's Nightfall. You know, We Bane's just been kind of like this bruiser at the beginning, but then leading up to Nightfall, you see him just masterfully craft a way to break Batman down. So at the very end, when Batman's at his weakest, at his lowest, Bane comes in and breaks his back. This is, Kingpin does something very similar here. You know, the he breaks Matt down completely to the point that he realizes that all of this began because Matt trusted in somebody, you know?
4: Well, he also, he takes the time to make sure that it's kind of classic um, bad guy. You make sure not not one person has all the information. You know, if you're someone involved in the Kingpin's operation, you only know a little fraction of, you know, exactly what he wants you to know. And no matter what they do, no matter how bad they beat you, they can't get any decent information out of you. And he even brags about that, that you know, Matt goes into that bar, that he always goes to get information, and he beats everybody up. He's just completely out of control, wants to know who wants to talk about Matt Murdock, and they can't. And the kingpin actually brags about it. They can't because no one knows anything but me. I'm the only person that has all the puzzle pieces to put together.
3: Yeah, and I just want to say that little jingle that happened earlier, uh, I thought I was on an episode of Pee Wee's Playhouse or Mr. Robert's. I was waiting for the trolley to come rolling in on one of your screens. Um, but you're right. I mean, it, it, he Miller and just to kind of capitalize on what both Tim and Dustin said, Miller took six issues to do what they took at least three different trade paperbacks to do for nightfall. At all I mean, Nightfall goes through Nightfall, Night's Quest, and then Night's End for the Redemptive arc, where Miller, he just, man, in, in those issues, they were relatively just normal-sized issues. They weren't, like, super double-sized. I think maybe the last issue was. But in that storyline um, and in the original storyline without the last two issues, like we've discussed before, I, he didn't have the costume on. I mean, it ended with no Daredevil costume. Justin,
1: mm-hmm. you sort of have the uh, cover going on behind you over there. I like that. That's what I was you have just a thinking. Glass thing going on. That's pretty good. Sorry to interrupt you, Gary. I apologize.
2: No, no, no. That was well worth it. <laughs> now, one one thing that I'm curious about now, because we we go back and forth in kind of in in chiding. Now, Zach, you is a guy who generally prefers DC to Marvel. Not really. Uh, Generally, always. He's young. (laughs) He's he's young, inexperienced. Curious. What your thoughts on how you dug Born again? You know, as a story. Oh, Daredevil is one of the few Marvel
5: that I actually like read, because I have uh, like I've read um, Guardian Devil and uh, Man Without Fear as well. Um, So I I mean, I, I really. Again, it's Daredevil, as you said, it's the poor man's Batman. So it's uh it was a story that I I really enjoyed. Um not so much the ending with the random Avengers uh getting added in and Captain America being Captain America, but um I mean beyond that it's Daredevil is definitely one of the, the one of the Marvel characters that I
4: um regularly read so well in the uh in the netflix run we had an introduction of another character it wasn't quite one of the elite heroes but it was the punisher which created those spinoffs but even you know the they wrote a storyline where the, the daredevil eventually needed frank castle's help and i i don't have a problem with them helping each other out every now and then i, I do think it's by introducing nuke they introduced a character that was well beyond Daredevil's ability to go after Nan handle single handedly, because he's just he's a super soldier. So I, I don't necessarily have a problem with it. I get what you guys are saying, but I didn't have a problem with. It. I thought the story played out well. I I had really enjoyed. I didn't read Daredevil um, at all. You know, my my Daredevil knowledge comes from Ben Affleck and Netflix. So <laughs> I mean, I I enjoyed I enjoyed having watched the Netflix series to see how well uh or how much they drew on this this run to create what's been the most successful netflix marvel series that they've had mm. and it's it there's it's the only one they're still in talks about trying to find a way to continue and and bring in and there's rumors about him having some role um in the new spider-man so yeah. it's it's a really great storyline that that was solid. It was solid then. And they were able to put it in a, in film now, and they could redo it 20 years and still be a solid school.
0: I do like the theme of uh, suffering that we find in daredevil born again, you know, often when suffering takes place in a lot of these other Marvel stories, like I, you know, we talked earlier about whoever takes over daredevil. It's literally who can mess up his life the best, (laughs) you know? And it's like Spider Man. Spider Man's very similar to that, you know. Like I think of uh, the different storylines throughout Spider Man's life, but there's a difference in how they suffer, you know. Spider Man, when he suffers, uh, he's this whiny little brat who, uh, you know, is just just a crybaby who's like into the world. Well, I think uh, it's the same uh, age <laughs> <laughs> What? i said i think he's the
1: same age as you zach (laughs) so he he responds that way that's that's what happens yeah the same age as me
0: (laughs) yeah you guys
4: are adorable it's great
0: yeah kids um but spider-man in particular his he just he doesn't suffer well you know he does not suffer well at all and it's to be expected you would think after a couple times of being a hero and going through the movements of suffering, he would learn how to handle pain and suffering better. But he doesn't, whereas Daredevil's different. Daredevil, uh, it seems, has a worldview that understands suffering as a part of life. And I don't know if Frank writes that in mind because Matt is Catholic. Um, but he, he tends to understand suffering in a little bit more, if this is expected. And I have to endure, you know? Uh, this is not, you know, it's not karma. It's not um, necessarily because I've done something uh, wrong, but this is part of my journey. And uh, yeah, I just have to endure to the end. And we don't even really get to catch, we catch little glimpses of that in Born Again uh, of Matt's endurance through suffering. Um, but it almost, all his sufferings almost happened so quickly, boom, 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 that Matt doesn't even have time to process or register what's taken place against him, you know?
4: Yeah, I think one one of the things that was kind of hard to follow was, um, the length of the timeline. You know what I mean? Because they started off with Matt being financially ruined and then being set up by the cop, um, and then the trial was like instantaneous and you had to start taking what you know about, about the way things work in the world and go, okay, well, there's a couple of days here, there's a week there. And you, you got to kind of put the pieces together and do the math that it's more of a prolonged amount of time than what the comic book gives you a, a sense of. Um, but it, I thought kind of what you're saying, Dustin, a lot of his redemption it has to come from a point of being isolated and having to dwell on your thoughts, you know, and that's kind of what we all face where when, when it comes down to it, it's up to us to self-discover and to have our own realizations. And, you know, plenty of people can reach out a hand and pull you up, but you've got to take that hand. And Matt in this run was very isolated. That where he's in that hotel room, it's probably like $2 a night type room and he hasn't paid the bill and they're coming to collect. And he's, all snuggled in it you know he just can't get comfortable it's cold he's just suffering physically but mostly he's suffering emotionally he's cut himself off from foggy he's cut himself off from from anyone who could possibly help him for no reason because foggy's reaching out to him trying to find him trying to help him and he just he doesn't feel like he can trust anybody so he isolates and when he isolates that's when he becomes
2: uh more harmful to himself well miller plays this uh I mean it's set during Christmas time I mean Matt Murdoch gets stabbed by Santa you know mm-hmm. which is you know your christmas is going crappy when Santa stabs you you know but
1: but for you in Philly
2: is, the story arc is easter you know it's it's this you know and your old your old life ends and a new life begins and it's this beautiful moment where everything is that Murdoch has worked for his whole life is gone and and then he's you know he's happy working as a cook in a dive diner. You know, he's like, I like my job, this is cool. You know, and and you just, you know, you realize like, oh man, you know. I've not read a lot of Superman, but the story arc doesn't work for Superman. You know, you can't do that stuff. Like just have him working as a cook in a diner Mm. and and being happy, you know. He's an alien, you know, he's from another planet. So (laughs) he's not from Hell's Kitchen.
3: Well, and there's uh two points that Dustin made. Well, one point that Dustin made that um I just want to come back to. You you were talking about suffering and how um, you know, you weren't sure if Frank Miller was kind of following along with, you know, our beliefs about suffering. He was, and it's really kind of neat. I don't know if you guys noticed when you're reading, but did you look at the title pages of each of the original issues? Oh, yeah.
2: mm-hmm.
3: They're all um basically iconography. Um That shows like the travels of Christ. I mean, in the very first issue, um, Matt's okay. He's in all of them, you see uh, basically Matt from the top down, almost a God's eye view. Like the first issue, Matt's laying in bed. He's comfortable. This is his comfortable life. Um, He's going on his regular life. The second issue, after he has lost everything and essentially been crucified. He's curled in the fetal position in his cheap motel. Uh, The next issue, he's in even worse dire straits, kind of curled in his own fetal cocoon on the streets. Um, Then after Sister Maggie finds him and he's being healed, uh, take a look at that.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
3: I mean, that is definitely styled after Christ on the cross with the, the bed... The wall, his position, and then the final issue is saved. And he's back on his feet, God's eye view, back strong again, born again. So um, he definitely followed along with that. And just, man, just even the uh, the scene where sister, sister Maggie finds him. Yeah. So, and, you know, we can post all these online later. I'll have to take pictures of them individual or find them online. But then even his um his injuries he suffers while he's out on the street are almost uh, reflective mm. of the
1: broken rib.
3: Yeah, his uh his travels uh going through to Golgotha. I mean he uh you know obviously Christ didn't suffer the exact injuries, but on his way through his travels, um he falls in a river, barely survives. Well it's is he's pushed in a car into the river, barely survives. Um then he's hit by a car and then he collapses from illness and then finally almost the crucifixion he's stabbed so the three times that he fell on the way to being stabbed were like the three times that christ fell on his way on his travel up to carrying the cross so yeah go ahead go ahead Gary. go ahead not just a lot of imagery just in yeah. those, like few things
4: I-, I thought one of the I thought one of the huge turning points for this, and it was obvious, um, you just talked about the car crash, and I was just looking at that, um, was that the Kingpin had the opportunity to to leave well enough alone. But when Murdoch escapes that car off the pier, he kind of – he can't be located anymore. The Kingpin can't find him because now he's just – no more eyes on him. And now Matt starts to put together – um, his life, his plan, and how he's going to move on from there. Without, even though the very next thing is is, is Santa Claus, um, he's able to kind of get out from under the thumb of the kingpin enough to breathe. And you give him enough time to breathe. You give him enough time to catch his breath, and he starts to get on his feet. And if he starts to get on his feet, he's able to fight. He was able to fight. You're in trouble. And that 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 was the turnaround for him. You know, when I didn't feel like you guys do that, he was. Totally destroyed by the end of this run. I felt like he's he's gotten rid of his adversary or at least confronted his adversary enough that he knows who's who. He knows who his enemies are. And if you know who your enemies are, you can fight the fight. And the, the middle, the middle of the run shows that with him not knowing who his enemy was, he'd had no idea who to fight or where to go or how to address it. But now that he's got um a focus, he's gonna be all right. He's gonna figure it out. I, I think that um there was a lot of room at the end of this for hope for him. I don't think he was, oh, sure. you know, I don't think he was completely torn down. Um, so I, but I thought the turnaround was was really interesting. That I noticed within the first few pages, as soon as he came out of that car and the Kingpin's upset, there's no body, and then you watch things unfold, and he's just he's not trackable anymore. And the Kingpin made the mistake of giving him room to breathe.
5: Wasn't at the beginning of this story once wilson or fist started all this at one point he was talking about i might just be misremembering this but he was at at one point not gonna go as far as he did he was just gonna torture for a while Mm -hmm. and then give him a job or something you know break him and then
4: turn him he even chastised himself to remember what the goal was yeah you know, he has to take himself back and not completely destroy him because if he focuses too much on him, he's not going to be able to uh, uh, stay focused on everything that's important.
2: But, but I think He loses
4: thing, track of that.
2: One of the things that Zach pointed out earlier is you were talking about a guy who spends a lot of time in a diaper, you <laughs> know, and so. <laughs> Welcome to the 80s. Hey, so just, just so you guys I know. know I guy. You know, spending a lot of time in a diaper is just not going to put you in a good mental state. I turned you this really into a did. watch
4: party when we started, and we got uh we got Les saying hi to you guys. Who? Les Lens, if you guys. Nice, know. Nice, nice. Yeah, he's an and audio Les. video guy and musician around town. And yes, yes, he is.
3: He a really cool guy. I just uh I'm just wondering what exactly Zach pictures the 80s because he keeps <laughs> like diapers. It's in the 80s. It's these 80s
5: comics that <laughs> there's just something about them, like. <laughs> The characters are just kind of are. I just feel I, that they're more over
1: the top than
5: they are now.
1: I rarely wore underwear to school, so I, you know,
2: I don't know. Right. The 80s.
5: Ah, <laughs>
2: mental picture. Oh. Ah. So <laughs> <laughs> no, you were not the kingpin. We could we've established that. That's it.
3: That's it. <laughs> uh, but um. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, Zach. He, he did. He did say he was going to destroy him, and then once he was destroyed, he put him on the payroll as a lawyer because he was a good attorney. um So, and you know, yeah. when gangsters have lawyers; they're generally dirty or guys that they have in their pocket because they're bribing them.
4: So, Les offered up a thought. It says, "Uh, this is pretty. This is actually does a good job of, of concising uh, what the daredevil run is. It says man versus man." man versus nature man versus himself man versus what the heck you know yep. so so murdoch faces all of that you know he's seen he, and he's got to face it all um really as matt murdoch like daredevil really is not useful to him
3: mm-hmm.
4: you know he's got to figure it out as matt murdoch first right and, and kyle that- willie likes turtles
3: <laughs> just so you know <laughs> kyle <laughs> likes turtles <laughs> uh, you were all wondering kyle really likes turtles um but no and even um just to come back to the point where we were talking about the weirdness with captain america suddenly appearing miller even had a plan for that even though it wasn't part of his original plan um when nuke was brought in the picture and daredevil had to fight nuke if you remember it wasn't daredevil that ultimately beat him it was captain america that did So um, Daredevil, while he ends the story redeemed, it's more of he's on his way still to redemption, like Mm. all of us Mm. are. Um, You know, he's not there yet, where Captain America is this self-actualized epitome. You know, he's the Boy Scout of Marvel Comics, especially back then. Um, Captain America didn't kill. He didn't, he always fought that temptation. Um, You know, at one point in the story, Daredevil wanted to kill Kingpin. That's what he went to his office to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, uh, you know, Captain America swoops in as this very uh, pure figure at the end. That that's where Darede- Daredevil kind of wants to be, and is potentially on his way to at the See end. How the nice end. he is! Yeah,
5: he oh, says he was... he
3: respects the lieutenant as
5: he's smashing him in the face of the shield. <laughs> yeah.
3: I want to admit there's some people you want to smack in
1: the face with the shield you know tim one of the things that you had said earlier when you were talking about the daredevil on uh netflix and mm-hmm. um i can see that they drew a lot of the storyline and plot actually from this particular run of the comics oh, yeah. um the introduction of who his mom is yeah. for example that that came out of here directly um just i i i just saw that this storyline this story arc as we talked about being one of the most popular of all times um it it really sets the tone for daredevil to come i think
4: yeah yeah i, I think it, it it kind of uh it chisels out the weakness of matt murdoch and and allows him to realize that uh he needs people around him to help him whether he wants it or not mm. and it it really I think where he had a level of irresponsibility about him before, kind of cavalier, this made him kind of shed that. Come on, let me see it. They got real quiet, didn't the boys? because <laughs> I was sitting well, here thinking, I really want me to dog. show off our dog again.
2: It's not a Zoom episode without a dog. Nope. Well, <laughs> and another p-
3: <laughs> Here, let me go get my hound dog.
4: jeff just picked his dog up too (laughs) stinky
3: so um another kind of um and it was talked about earlier was um karen page redemptive arc and uh, you know this story started with destroying her she had disappeared essentially from daredevil and marvel comics for years she started off as uh you know in the early daredevil stories as almost like the betty brant from spider-man type of character Zach, why are you doing cartwheels? <laughs> <laughs> wow! So, but she was like, you know, again, this kind of girl Friday from the original stories, and then she disappeared. And Frank Miller was like, "Oh, I know." And now there's a cat on screen.
4: <laughs> That's why the dog's barking at the cat. <laughs> the dog barker's on my end. I'm sorry.
3: That I- is the Tiger King. Um, but then the. Uh, the story went to he, Frank Miller's like, Oh, I know I'll bring her back, but I will bring her back as a total in the gutter drug addict.
1: <laughs> yeah, Corn star. Just, yeah.
3: yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, it was really kind of, uh, interesting. Cause if you look through the story, she kind of has that same redemptive arc. I mean, Hey, she starts off the story betraying the guy that loved her sells his identity. And when she's in danger and wants to run to him, if you read it, it's not because. <laughs> <laughs> his cat.
2: Oh, <laughs> it's not because you know, uh, Carol Baskin's husband down at the bottom, uh, <laughs> or whoever is on your screen. <laughs> <laughs> but, oh,
3: so. I can't remember where I was now. No, still... <laughs> so when she does decide to run to Matt, if you remember reading, it's not because she wants to save him or confess to him. It's Matt will save me anyway. Basically, she's on the run and in danger, and she knows that even though she's betrayed him, Matt will still save her and protect her. So that's why she's using
0: him. And there's the what there. I was going to say. That sounds a lot like. Uh... I mean, that's the gospel story, right? Matt's the savior who's beaten and bruised because of what his loved one has done against him, you know? And in the end, despite our bruising of him, he comes to the rescue and saves them anyway. So, yeah, I've never thought about that until you just said that, Gary. That's essentially the gospel story.
3: Absolutely. And then when you look at all the other... um you know, references to the gospel throughout the story with the artwork. Um, well, you can't miss plenty of it, you
2: know. Yeah.
3: I mean, it's like, it, it was kind of neat how he uh, took that storyline, that suffering and redemption storyline and turned it into a superhero book. Now it was a different type of superhero book and it was a different type of uh, Frank Miller type of book. Um, Cause up until now, he had done those superhero stories. I mean, like I said, his original Daredevil run included ninjas, which was awesome for me when I went back and read that. Because being a child of the, 80, the 80s that didn't walk around in diapers. Um, well, it was ninjas and diapers. The guy that walked around in pajamas. You know, ninjas <laughs> were like, they were popular at that time. I mean, you had Revenge of the Ninja, American Ninja. Ninjas were the bad guys and everything. They were showing up in the X-Men against Wolverine. Um, I mean... Also, Frank Miller involved in that. So he brought in, like, the coolest villains slash heroes of the 80s and introduced them into Daredevil and made Daredevil a
2: Irish boxing ninja. That's well, the- if you were really cool in the 80s, your diaper had a black belt on it. <laughs> you know, kung fu and diapers. Um, but the the three redemptive arcs, you've got, as you mentioned. Like
0: Thundercats. <laughs>
2: Karen Page, you've got, you know, you've got Matt Murdock, but Ben Urich is another redemptive arc too, of the yes. coward who finally gets the guts <laughs> to come in. And <laughs> this to get the, who gets the guts to come in and, and, and who's getting pushed around, who's getting threatened, who gets his fingers broken, you know, but ultimately decides this is a story. I've got to tell the truth. I've got to tell the story. And and I've got to make this right. And all those story arcs come together in the same place at the same time. <laughs> and poppers, I think were the were after the eighties. Actually, I think jalapeno poppers came later. <laughs> You're still muted, Gary. You're muted, Gary.
1: <laughs> I think oh, he intends to sorry. be muted. <laughs>
4: <laughs> I did. salt are barking. There's a couple of interesting um, um I wouldn't say character development um maybe some character reveals. So that who's the owner of the of the Daily Bugle? My brain's
1: J. J. Jonah
4: Jameson. Yeah J Jonah Jameson. Yeah, so Jameson um is actually the one that that puts uh, uh Ben back on the story. Like he, he tells him, you know, don't quit on this. You know, it's it's about time this newspaper that can be used as a weapon be aimed at. Wilson Fisk, you know, he's bad and we have to go after him and only you can write the story and you still kind of resist that and you see the reach of the kingpin there where the janitor is like, hey, that's a good boy, don't say anything and then you fast forward a little bit further and he's sitting there trying to uh, uh, write his fluff piece that he's been assigned to and everything's going on around behind him, but he's on the phone to the detective who was going to speak to him and the nurse calls to let him hear her kill that police officer and that that was the moment where he was like, you know, that's enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and how about that nurse, man? How'd you like to have that for a nurse? Mm. Yeah, <laughs> that's she's a vicious creature.
3: Yeah, and it was that caught me off guard the first time I read it, and actually, I every time I reread this, I kind of forget that she's technically a hitman.
1: Yeah, yeah, she is
3: nowhere and brutal, just a brutal hitman. Like not yeah. like. I mean, I, I guess there's no humane hitman to say out there. But she literally just smothers the dude while he's in his bed. So uh, it, yeah, I mean, you're right. There's like, he, he made, it, it was such a gritty story. And that's the, that was kind of the change um, from his original Daredevil run to this one. It went from superheroes and ninjas to just grit and noir with uh, a bunch of uh, Christian and Catholic undertones um and it was just well i won't even see <laughs> undertones uh you know mm-hmm. was the theme so it was almost like that transition period where he's going from superhero books to what he later did in sin city um where he took like really hit the uh, criminal underbelly of storylines uh and then later on did like i said earlier he did batman year one where it was all batman versus the underworld and dirty cops so um I don't know, he just combines so many different things into to this one story arc that i don't it, it never loses its uh it never loses its worth as a story um it, it's always like i mean literally probably 20 years from now i could come back and read the whoa dustin that is freaky um, but it will come back like, 20 years, and i see Dustin as a floating head. Um, but, but no, it would still be a good, worthwhile story that is uh, pertinent and inspiring even 20 years from now, despite the 80s adult diaper on the kingpin.
2: I think, you know, I, I'm not sure how many times I've read the story now. But every time you take something else from it, every time it means something and 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 realizing that, you know, not everybody who's who not all the three people less than two others who are are watching uh, might not all be Daredevil all the time. So Daredevil Born Again is held up as one of the, you know, the pinnacles of of sequential art, you know, as, as good a comic book as it gets. What are the other ones? What are some of the other tomes, classics, like the 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 big time books? So like I know Dustin and and a lot of plenty of people are, um, you know, uh, Batman or Dark Knight Returns, you know, stuff like that. But you know, throw out throw out your others um, that are in the same league as Born
0: Again. I mean, do you put Death of Superman in there? Is it? it do you feel like it falls in that category? I can give that. It's not a, it's not a good a story, but it's it rocked the industry.
4: Well, I thought I mean, it was. A, I thought it was a good story until they brought him back. <laughs> I, I, mean, I mean, it was an epic. I don't know. Sometimes when you when you kill these heroes off, or you you bring their character to an end, you, and you just kind of bring them back, it, mm. it cheapens the work that the previous people put into it. Yeah, the death of Captain America was like that
1: as well. Yeah, same sort, sort yeah. of thing. Yeah.
2: Well, and mm-hmm. if you're still beat up about that death of Captain America.
4: I mean, they- I feel like
0: when we talk about these kind of stories, it's it's Dark Knight Returns, Watchman, it's Sandman, it's uh, I mean, Daredevil Born Again. I don't know if there's any modern classics. I mean, maybe you could put in Civil War, the mm-hmm. first, the original. Um, I'm gonna have to put the new X-Men
1: in there, the House and Powers. I have to. I think Hickman did as good a job. I know you roll your eyes, but everybody else here, I'm telling you, Dustin, put me
5: in this. um, I haven't read it yet.
2: Okay, not everyone else.
4: I'm not convinced that story is at that level yet. Sometimes I I think think
2: time. You need some time and space to figure out. You know the thing about Batman Returns and Daredevil Born Again. I mean, you're talking a few issues. I mean, you know, not a massive tome. You know, of of Moby Dick type. You know, mm-hmm. you know scope. The story gets told in a short space, and is just is amazingly powerful, amazingly memorable. Um, you know, I I I've not been a big Superman fan, but Grant Morrison's All Star Superman often gets thrown around in that mix of being that kind of story. And right, but like, also.
4: Awesome we're also looking at this as a story that was told in the 80s and able to look at the over over time the lasting effect it's had moving forward not just on daredevil's world but on a lot of different characters and you know how it focused the kingpin and and we already talked about how there's an offshoot story for this for captain america and you look at how it affected the the cinema world you know with netflix and things like that so i think that jeff might be absolutely right about x-men and i'm excited about the house of x and the powers of 10 because you have the opportunity to see what that opens up in the storyline and it's it's going to be massive this is not a small undertaking i mean the number of projects they have going right now with marvel that are directly tied to um house of x and powers of 10 is is insane and they're not side stories they're all individual stories right and i did recently do a
1: google look up like a must read story arcs um in comics and it was already listed there as a must read so i I really think it's going to stay the test of time
4: i think that's fair to say if you want to know where marvel's going you have to read that yeah correct you absolutely have to read it because if you if you don't read it you're in the dark i mean look how they split up into teams you have the marauders and the x-force and all these other groups you have to have read that to know what created those groups and what their purpose is right
2: i think the x-men story that gets held usually close to Born Again, is it uh, God Loves, Man Kills, Gary? Is that the, I think that's the, the I don't remember if I get the, the order of that right, but I think it's God Loves, Man Kills.
1: Yeah, that and the Dark Phoenix uh, saga, that, that also was up there.
3: I'm going to throw out um, two that I'm not sure how many of you have read Um But, you know, we always like to point out that I'm the geekiest one.
5: And the oldest. (laughs)
3: Uh, And they're both Green Arrow stories. Um, Hard Traveling Heroes. Uh, It was the uh, team up in the 70s. uh, Started in Green Lantern. And they kind of pulled Green Lantern and Green Arrow together. Mm. And they took this cosmic cop character. And this guy with a bow, who is kind of a superhero. Uh, And they had them travel across the U.S. in a beat-up old truck with one of the guardians of the universe with them. Completely strange story, but they tackle, at the time, um, racism, drug use. It was one of the first times that you saw a major uh, character in comics uh, as an addict. Uh, Green Arrow discovers that his uh, sidekick, Speedy, is a heroin addict in the story. Um, which hadn't been touched again until Born Again, which was uh, kind of interesting. But uh, the, that kind of changed the face of Marvel or comics because it was a DC comic. Um, but, you know, at, at the time, there wasn't a lot of really touching on those real life issues so much. Or if they were, it was done symbolically, not like in your face. This Basically, this dude's kid who he is completely neglectful of um, is an addict. And they had to face that storyline and just, I mean, they just traveled across the U.S. just seeing kind of uh, the downtrodden people. And it was kind of the storyline where, um, you know, the term has bad connotation nowadays, especially with certain crowds. But um, it it was where Green Arrow kind of became a social justice warrior. Um, The character that we became familiar with that was always in people's face, even though he was a rich dude, he's always in people's face faith about taking care of the uh, least of these and then uh mike grell came along and in 87 the same time that all this uh noirish revolutions going on comics with watchmen dark knight returns and Daredevil, he wrote green arrow the longbow hunters um which really had some uh difficult scenes in it and one in which green arrow actually puts an arrow through one of um somebody that attacks black canary in a pretty horrible way that you know i'll let you guys read it's uh somewhat graphic in the story, but he he, I mean, he literally makes the choice to take the guy out. And it's uh, you know, those are two storylines that kind of changed that character
2: into like the character that we see now. But that's a little bit, you know, in the born again way. So some of these were before born again, but it's that evolution of superheroes of, you know, Escapism, you know these kind of stories that were the the good guy always won, and um, you have all your hero characteristics. Um, to whether it's um, you know Alan Moore or, or Frank Miller or whoever it is of calling into question, you know the the heroes themselves, calling into question motives, breaking them down, throwing them in the in the gutter. Um, or bringing social justice into a focus, um, to where it, it comics now are so pluralistic. There's there's no storyline, there's no redemptive arc, there's no that, that's not being told in some way, shape, or form. But a lot of these comics, like Born Again, broke ground to help make this you know the world that we know of comics now. Um, and Miller has has certainly told a number of those stories. Um, and and is, is put in that, you know, upper echelon of Alan Moore and Frank Miller. And I don't know who else you're going to put up there, but those two definitely have earned their spot.
3: Um, just two interesting tidbits, uh, just that uh, there's Dustin's dog, Great Dane. Uh, But also just like the scenes that we just saw him earlier walking down the street. um, All I could hear in my head was Natalie Merchant's carnival on mid market playing.
1: Um, uh, Which is funny because just before that, he looked like a queen video with the dark around him and his face just sitting there. I
3: definitely saw that. But um, no. So another interesting tidbit, there's another kind of weird coincidence is um, you know, we talked how, Years later, after Frank Miller did a darker version of Daredevil, Karen Karen Smith, Kevin Smith, came and um, wrote Daredevil, and it was a darker story. Well, I named Green Arrow, and just another like little bit of trivia. Years after that Green Arrow story came out, Kevin Smith wrote an arc of Green Arrow and restarted the series, just like uh, Daredevil it was a few years after Daredevil, I believe. So it was kinda, it's kind of it's kind of neat, like what people have followed in, um, Frank Miller and Alan Moore's footsteps. In fact, um, you know, if if you talk to both of them, they kind of disown a little bit of what they did. Alan Moore, um, really hates that he made superheroes really dark there for a while and started writing these like really silver agey stories. And Frank Miller just took, man, he just went off in his own direction on everything he does now. But, um, I mean, it's it just, it, it's kind of funny. You know, we chose to do Born Again. And it's just, like I said, it's like one of the unsung trilogy of that year Watchmen, mm-hmm. Dark Knight Returns, and Born Again.
0: Um, well, Guardian Devil, kind of, I mean, it's so amazing how similar the two stories are because they carry the same, like, similar religious themes. And they're told from, uh, you know, all of the events are taking place by a villain but not directly right like mysterio if you haven't read guardian devil i think it's my favorite daredevil story but you don't find <laughs> out it's mysterio until the very end and you realize like um now i'm not reading it oh man, uh, hey, man. alert. my bad i know <laughs> but it's one of those like everything bad happens again to daredevil uh from far away you know And he's really just kind of a puppet in the whole grand scheme of things. And he can only go where the strings take him. And he's trying to rescue, you know, the supposed antichrist in that story as well. So
3: (laughs) Zach, I saw you nodding. Um, when he said that, uh, when dustin was saying that guardian devil was kind of his favorite daredevil uh do you feel the same do you feel the same way is that one of your favorite daredevil storylines it is and and you know it's again an example not to point it out but i'm going to anyway it's an example of age gap the age divide here Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah um you guys were probably at your heyday in comics i mean you know besides now since you have an excuse to read comics on a daily basis but um and your heyday of comics was probably right around the period that story came out where a lot of us same concept um we were reading comics as teens when uh well jeff was probably in his 30s but uh, well,
2: frodo sanders up there i think he was uh comics were were stone tablets with etching.
1: <laughs> they were they were on painted on the side of caves <laughs>
3: So back to the question that Mike had. Um, anybody else have any kind of like their uh their apex of comic stories? I mean, let's go ahead and eliminate Born Again, Watchmen, Dark Knight Returns, Guardian Devil. I liked the. Um,
4: this is not on the same level as these, but I liked the uh Punisher Warzone run where he kind of hey, this idea that he was. Getting revenge for his family was out the window. He was just the vigilante killer who did not care as long as it was the the criminal element that he hurt. You know, and he just he kind of went crazy to the point that they had a they had a subset that really wasn't there's no comic run. It was called the Punisher Armory. But like you'd have like three or four war journals and he'd have a Punisher Armory and he would go through all the weapons he had and now he liked to use them to kill people. <laughs> you know, and it, it was just interesting to see. Up until that point, Frank Castle's character arc had been my family was murdered and there was no way they they, they didn't get justice. So I'm going to be the one to, to get justice for the world. And he lost sight of that. He just decided to just attack crime without worrying about justice. And I, I liked that run.
3: That was a good run as well. Um, everybody do me a favor, I have to do an experiment. I want you to just be quiet and Dustin, keep walking around for me.
2: That's perfect.
0: <laughs> I was so singing live, but uh, yeah. that
1: was great. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh.
3: Um, no, I mean, Tim, that was a good point. I, I like that storyline too. Um, Jeff, you had brought up the Hickman X Men, and, X-Men, and I, I like it so far. I'm not sold on it yet, and it's maybe because we've had this break in it, and uh, mm. yeah. the momentum on me is lost. I might have to go back and reread it, but um, we, we can. I have- might.
0: I might. I think I like I said earlier. You know, I think from Marvel. You know, I I would put uh, a couple of the Miller's books. The other Miller, Mark Miller, The Ultimates, Logan, Old Man Logan, um, and then uh, Civil War. You know, I think those yeah. are kind of all I would capstone say. stories that kind of fit that uh, theme we're going for. But on the other end, I'm surprised as none of us have mentioned Batman's Long Halloween. I was just about to say that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Long
5: Halloween, Dark Victory, and then on a lesser scale, but I still think is a must read. It's like Infinite Cry or Crisis on Infinite Earths and Infinite Crisis.
1: You forgot My Little Pony: Friendship Is Magic.
4: <laughs> <laughs> well, we talked about the uh, Heroes in Crisis. That's already been an episode. That was a. Really profound run. Yeah, I think Heroes in Crisis is going to be. Involving PTSD, and I think it's mm-hmm. it's one of those runs that sets the stage for a lot to happen in the future. You're going to look back at Heroes in Crisis once you see where DC goes with a lot of its characters and go, wow, that had a lot to do with it. And I when think... Um, at,
2: you, go ahead, Zach.
5: I think Batman... Uh, <laughs> R.I.P. was a big one for me. Did you say R.I.P.D.?
4: R.I.P. Is that that R.I.P.D.? Is that what we're talking about? What? It's a bad movie, man. I'm I'm giving you a hard time. (laughs) That
5: was just such a pinnacle of who Batman is.
4: (laughs) (laughs) He looks like Shazam.
2: Oh, we lost Dustin. Yeah. I I think... think, um, for me, and you've got to give it distance, but I think the anybody that goes back to Daredevil now has has to decide how to deal with Miller's run. Do I try to recreate it? Do I try to like ignore it? it Miller's run is that place in the in the character's evolution that everybody looks at, and I think Jason Aaron's Thor run it may end up being something similar mm. for just a whole redefining of the character, um, the unworthy Thor, um, you know, Jane Foster as Thor, all the different things that happened over his, his tenure and his writing, um, I think are going to be looked at for a long time to come. Um, and I will say, you know, that's the Miller's daredevil and Aaron's Thor, the two times of reading, uh, comics, superhero comics that, uh, I've just both just blown me away. What about Planet Hulk and World War Hulk? Do those make your list? I know people love them. I've just never Mm -hmm. read The Hulk by himself until Matt Al Ewing's current Immortal Hulk run. Mm
1: -hmm. I just thought those might be in on -hmm. par with some of the things we're talking about. Gary, anything else? Any? I
3: have an obscure one um really <laughs> i was counting on that <laughs> <laughs> and um i don't know if zach's read it being the batman aficionado he is um but again right along that same period after um crisis on infinite earths where batman took that dark turn uh there was a four issue within the uh batman book called um, 10 nights of the beast it was written by jim starlin and um the artist was Jim Aparo, who passed away a few years ago and was an incredible uh, Batman artist. But it was basically the introduction of the key. It was this, uh, you know, this is during the Cold War. He was a Russian a super assassin. And it was just brutal. And it was four issues of Batman and his barking hound dog in the background <laughs> Uh, no, it was, it was uh, four issues of Batman and the Gotham City Police Department running around trying to stop this super assassin from taking Did out. Did he lock him in a sewer at the end? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it was like one of the first storylines where I left it up to uh, question whether Batman killed him. Because uh, he was like, you know, he's he's just kind of like, I don't need to fight you. I can just trap you down here to starve. And uh, later on, of course, that was retcon because nobody wants Batman to be a killer, you know, unless he's in the movies, in which I think every Batman movie he has killed somebody.
5: A lot of people in the Batman movies, yeah. like a lot of people.
3: <laughs> but um, so yeah, that was a that was that's kind of an obscure one now. But um, it was also really neat because Jim Starlin is another one of those legendary writers. Who in Batman storyline did all these cosmic stories with um you know Captain Marvel and Thanos. He created Thanos, um, the character, and then he moves to DC and just does this brutal run of Batman. Um, to include then after that, he wrote Batman the Cult, which is another good one. And it was basically Batman and a cult. And Batman doesn't uh he doesn't, he doesn't
2: um he not the cult. Yeah. Didn't have a soundtrack,
3: right? No, not the cult. Uh, but uh, um, is that your dog in the background? No, what are you talking about? I don't hear a dog, I hear a dog. <laughs> but um, I'm sorry, I'm coughing in the background, trying to <laughs> yeah, have yeah. it show up on the screen too much, but um, no, he uh, you know, and I have dog jaw, I don't know if you've ever had dog jaw. But uh he oh, gosh, I don't even know what I was talking about now. Thanks. Thanks. You <laughs> play it off. He pointed it out. Now it's all out there for everyone to know. Uh, oh, yeah. Then he kind of uh he went on and wrote all these dark stories. There was the cult. Um he took over the new guides for a while and wrote a pretty dark story. Um, so yeah, just like another great writer who started off in this superhero world and took a turn for the Norse and darkness i'll be right back i'm going to go lock my dog outside yeah.
2: <laughs> well, i think we might have we might have pushed our our listeners and viewers to their limits here you know um
3: <laughs> we've definitely pushed my bladder to its limits <laughs>
2: <laughs> so that'd be a good time to wrap up our first zoom chat live zoom chat um i think uh so this is the second book we've done. We've done, um, it, it, we have, the podcast has not come out yet, but we did Tom King's, uh, Heroes in Crisis that we all read and, and talked about. Now we've done, uh, Frank Miller and David, uh, Mazzucchelli's Daredevil Born Again. Um, and I, it's fun when we all have the same book to read and, and come in and chime in about it. And so I think we'll see something else coming up before long here. Um. But it's a blast, also, and, and a, at a time where we're also we're all quarantined, we've got um, Longwood's Road and a couple in Easton, one in Annapolis, and one out in, in uh, Upper Skipton. Um, you know, it's cool for everybody to be able to get together. <laughs> okay, dog taking t- the t- turkey. Not out. a finger. <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh, so cool. that uh, that's another great episode. Um, thanks everybody that joined us on Facebook Live. Thanks uh, everybody who tuned in, for the recording of this. Um, those of you that fell asleep while we were talking, when you wake up and see the screens blank, that's because we ended.
0: <laughs>
3: Matt, you had a question?
0: Nope. Right. You have a bad show. Yes.
3: Oh, okay. Thought you were in. Right. To... Um, so anyway. Uh, join us the next uh, episode. We'll try to get notice out the next time we go to go live uh, much earlier, instead of uh, just as we do it. And uh, look forward to having you listen to us more.
2: Take care, everybody. Have a good one. Batman who laughs and see.